All right. So before we begin today's episode, I owe you an apology. And I really want to express my appreciation to all of you. I got a lot of emails over the last month asking me if I was okay, seeing what was going on. You know, I had just a variety of things stack up on me, uh, both kind of physical with the move from and the relocation from San Diego out here to the Denver area, which has been spectacular, by the way. Uh, and, you know, just ran up against some points in my own personal growth and uh, dealing with my own challenges. I mean, I think that's partly why uh, I do this show. And, you know, part of this is me being real and honest with you about uh, the impact my life has had uh, going all the way back to childhood and etc. So I want to say thank you for the support you gave me, the emails that came in, the questions, the checks. Uh, it meant a lot to me. And I want to thank you for sticking around and coming back to the show. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to keep us rocking and rolling here. I think we've got several episodes in the stack now. Uh, we should be on top of it. But, you know, this has definitely been an undertaking. You know, several I've had several questions as to, like, you know, who produces the show, who does the artwork, who does everything else. And, you know, as you, most of you know, it's, it's me. And uh, so not having a, a depth of support here uh, really kind of caused us to blip for about a month. So listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. I think today's conversation is going to be extremely important. Now I've got on the show with me, Philip McKernan. He is the author of the book, One Last Talk. Uh, it is a profound read and it is a profound experience to attend one of his events. So I would highly encourage you visit the show notes, pick up his book. It's definitely worth a read. Philip to me is a guy that probably you would not come across in your normal life. And I've gotten to know him uh, through a different community. And I'm so grateful for that uh, and really looking forward to today's episode. So again, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your listening. And I am ready to rock and roll today. Squad 322, red flowing fire. There is no doubt that the game has changed, and we are changing with it. Welcome to season two, because in this season, it is all about how we become and stay operational. How we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job. I'm your host, Jeff Bandman. Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. All right. Welcome back to Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Bandman. With me today, a uh, very special guest. We've been waiting for a few months uh, to get this podcast scheduled. Uh, Philip McKernan. Phil, thank you for joining me today. I am so thankful you're with us. Yeah. I mean, actually, likewise, it's, um, it's such a, a wonderful thing to be invited on. I appreciate you asking me. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, there's, listen, one, uh, we kind of been running in the same circles for a little bit. We haven't had a whole lot of time to actually get to know each other. Uh, and then I reached out to you a couple months ago, just in a little bit of my own interim struggle space on some things. Uh, we had a great kind of message conversation back and forth. Uh, and I really think that the conversation that we had is so relevant across my entire audience uh, around uh, identity. We were just talking about it kind of in the, in the pre-show mix. Uh, and so today what I want to really dive into is understanding how identity gets created for us. I mean, I'll, you know, and like you, you just nailed it on the head. 
we get created as quote unquote, the hero. We never wanted it. I have such a problem when people say, thank you for your service. It like <laughs> viscerally bothers me. Uh, you know, I won't stand up at the games when they say, you know, well, our veterans are military members and fire, you know, stand up, please. It's like, no, please. No. Uh, and you know, relevant, especially in the fire service, law enforcement community, some of the major issues we're dealing with suicide rates are up. We just had another one here recently. There's been a stream of them, a stack of them. And I just want to have a straight conversation. That's what I love about you. Cause I feel like we can just have a real straight, authentic conversation. It's not wrapped mm -hmm. up in a lot of, a lot of stuff. And you've been able to work with sports teams and entrepreneurs and business leaders and just a vast array, um, you know, to, to really get some clarity around some stuff. So I, that's where I'd like to point the conversation today, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Well, on a very basic level, I don't think many heroes ask ask for help. Um, yeah. I just don't think it's set up in society for that. And, um, you know, heroes, you know, have to be, you know, too busy saving everybody else's life. And often the person that suffers the most is themselves. And then obviously everything and everyone, everyone that's on the peripheral of their individual lives. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the, the contextual issue with the idea of you're a hero, therefore you must be able to handle everything and operate a different level and deal with everything. It must be easy for you to be able to go do all this stuff and then come home and hug your wife or your husband and kiss your kids and like be normal. You know what I mean? Like, of course that's, isn't that how you're supposed to be? I think that's, I think there's that contextual misconception out there in some ways uh, that you know we deal with it's 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 very interesting and then the other flip side to it like on the military side we just had this conversation yesterday on a podcast where it's like almost like this shameful wow i'm really sorry you had to deal with that i'm really sorry you had to go do that stuff that must have been hard and and so it's like this this pendulum swing for us when I don't think either of those ring true. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? At least for me. I mean, and, you know, speaking for a lot of the guys I know, a lot of the people in the audience, I, I feel like society puts, sits at like two bookends and we're somewhere in the middle. Like we can't like going to war. We can't like doing these things, but yet we do. And so it's, I think it rips at our, our own sense of identity in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating subject. I just think we have this very very deep innate desire to put people on pedestals in in whatever capacity it is, whether it's in the military, whether it's firefighters, you know, whether it's uh, you know famous people like you know singers and, sure. and and rock stars. And and we became we started to kind of almost run out of people. In certainly Europe, when I used to live there, I live in the United States now, and we 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 rushed into kitchens and took you know chefs out of kitchens and and made them celebrities and um uh, you know uh, the, the story i often often tell is um there's a guy called Eamon who lived in in dublin and he was a, a very very good chef and my my understanding is he really enjoyed it and um, before you know it he's been you know kind of put in papers and newspapers and tv and suddenly he be begins to believe he's something that he's not and he starts to move away from the very thing that he set out to do which was simply cook food and create a, a place for people to come and enjoy food and connect. And then he became a real estate mogul. And then of course the, 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 the big crash in Ireland, the economic crash, he lost all his properties back to the same restaurant, back as general manager, back as, as the front of house person. And then finally back into the kitchen where he started. And I just wonder what part of that journey as exciting and, and maybe as monetary rewarding for him in some respects was actually the, where did he let, where did he lose himself in all of that? Mm -hmm. Where did he let go of his identity? and the essence of who he was and where he was going to be to follow the dreams and aspirations of society. Um, and I think that I see that in so many walks of life. And um, while obviously a lot of the conversation for you is, is in, you know, the military and, the, and, 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 you know, the, the firefighter, you know, community, et cetera, I think the identity issue stretches in into every facet of Everywhere. life, for example, yeah. the mother uh, and father as well, but particularly mothers who bring up their, their three children and when their child finally leaves the nest and the last child walks down the driveway and gets into the Uber and heads off to college or heads off to university and they close the door and they look in the, in the mirror and they just go, who, who are you now? Mm -hmm. you've, you've dedicated 20, 30, whatever years of your life to bringing up these hopefully beautiful children that obviously in, in many cases and in most cases you're proud of, but then what? 
Um, and then you turn around and if, if your husband is still in the house, you, you look at him, and you go, I, I recognize your face, but who are you and who are we together? And I feel that this is a byproduct of us not stopping early enough in our journey and asking the questions that perhaps we don't know either how to ask mm. or even want to ask. So we prevent this thing down the line. Yeah. So like what is, you know, because it's interesting, we've talked about this before, like transitions and coming home and this identity of fireman, Navy SEAL, airborne ranger, police officer, you know, SWAT officer, uh, we, we, we do embrace our life like to a, you know, a 24 hour a day identity as to like what we do is what we are that kind of equals it in a lot of our brains but then when we come home i gave a talk back at naval special warfare years ago and i'm like your kid doesn't need a navy seal he needs a dad and what does yeah. that look like and how do you how do you be dad and not navy seal how do you be dad and not firefighter how do you be mom and not police officer you know what i mean and that's and i i think for my own space uh I have felt, I felt like I've been failing in one or more areas of my life, pretty much the majority of my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, Jeff, that's a, that, well, first of all, thank you for the admission. I think that's a, 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 a beautiful share. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's very rare for me to get on a podcast and have a host willing to, to show their own insecurities, their own vulnerabilities, their own challenges. And I, I've, I call it the 50-50 mother or the 50-50 father. And that is, mm. I feel like they're a 50% entrepreneur and 50% father and 50% perhaps husband, even though I know the numbers don't add up in, in, in that context. But, sure. you know, the, I, I, I always remember the first time I, I, I came across this little idea and that was I was watching a soccer game, got chatting to this, you know, mom I'd seen, you know, every week. And we got chatting and it turns out she was a lawyer and she was very successful. And you know, that was a huge part of her identity. And she didn't want to give that up. Because in the world today, Jeff, and you and I probably both see this, is that it's not enough to bring, you know, it's not enough to be just a mother anymore. You have to be something more than that because right. it's, not, it's not enough to have one business in the world. Now you have to have four. It's not enough to have, to be a firefighter. You have to have some online e-commerce business on the side as well. And there's just always this pressure to constantly achieve, achieve more. And she finally, in a moment, she said, you know what, honestly, I don't think I do parenting well, and I don't think I do my business well. And I think she, she was afraid to you know, to, to, to jump all into being a parent because she didn't think she was capable of doing it because she had her own insecurities, her own childhood traumas, her own stuff. And, and the essence I had, as it says, it sounds like you're describing yourself as a 50, 50 mother, like you're 50% successful here and 50%, but it doesn't equal a hundred percent. Yeah. There's, there's inadequacy and gaps on both sides. She goes, you just nailed it. She's that's how I feel every single day. And the, the compounding cost of that is enormous. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but if you're one degree off and compound that over a period of five or 10 years, that equals a midlife crisis, that equals depression, that equals you, you hitting a wall at some level. And I just think we need to bring the conversation further back. In fact, if you know, and again, if this is not where you want to go, I, I oh, fully respect go, that. Go, But yeah. I want to bring it back to even the choice of going into the military, the choice of going to be mm -hmm. a firefighter, the choice of being a mother, the choice of being an entrepreneur. What, what's the origin of that? So I have found, and this is, I've, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, because I was fascinated as I started doing some work with the military and speaking in different military bases and meeting these incredibly brave uh, men and women, not because they, they, they go into combat, but because they're just who they are. Bravery to me is not about, are you willing to stand up and, and, and put yourself in the line of fire? To some extent, bravery is about challenging the status quo. It's about finding out who you are and standing for who you are in the world today. That to me is courage. It's just a different type of courage, perhaps for some. And what I, what I found was that Many of them are deeply struggling with the idea of an ex of the exit of like, how do I assimilate back into society? How do I drop my uniform and walk back and become a, you know, a barista and become a, a farmer or become a, a baker or become an entrepreneur or whatever that, whatever the story is. Yeah. And what was fascinating is I went beyond all of that because somebody asked me literally yesterday said, how do I not push my team so much? How do I soften around the edges and become a more rounded authentic leader and what's the steps and i said it's the wrong question it's the wrong question i get it but it's the wrong question i want to know why you feel you're in an inauthentic leader and why you push your team when that's not your style and that's not your personality 
And I said, that's what we need to do. We need to track back to where do you find or where did you believe or begin to believe that this was the methodology in which you needed to treat your people in order to get results. And then to find out five years later that actually you're a bit of an asshole and they know it and they're not responding, they're not responding accordingly. We need to understand that. So when I started to interview a lot of these men and women, I found out that their, their reasoning for going into the military was, the, was where, where the, the wheels came off for me. If you take away anger after, say, 9-11, for example, is a great yep. example. If you take away anger, you take away following in your parents' footsteps, which is often about really emulating your father, your mother, trying to seek approval from them. There's nothing wrong with these. I'm just pointing mm -hmm. something out. If you take away, well, I, don't, I didn't know what else to do. I had no other, I, I had no other ideas. And I, I, you know what? Honestly, going into the military just felt like, you know, it, it was something good and it would be beneficial or whatever. And you take away the final one was, well, you know what, honestly, if I can be truthful, and I heard many women and men say this, that, you know, honestly, I wanted the, the benefits. I wanted the, the, the security for my family and I wanted the educational benefits and the health benefits. You take away those four and then maybe there's others. How many actually joined because they truly, truly, truly wanted to join for them? I don't know what that stat is, and I'm not judging the ones yeah. that join for other reasons. I'm just saying when you go back to the origin of why we begin a journey, that tells us so much about the way in which we're going to be in relationship to the journey, regardless of the promotions and the setbacks and the horrors and the joys. If you start a journey that you were never meant to be on in the first place, it's just always going to be energetically challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... You know, I, I had uh, Elliot Rowe on a while ago. We were talking about some of this stuff. We were talking about, you know, childhood age trauma and stress. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, I did some work with Elliot on, you know, anxiety uh, that then, you know, presents as anger. And we talked about it heavily on that, that, that podcast. You know, it's interesting that you brought some of that stuff up because I actually felt like after my session with Elliot, when I was able to kind of release everything and, and thank you know, the part of me that has kept me alive for 30 years doing crazy shit around the world uh, and say, I don't really need you anymore. I felt in that instant, I kind of looked around. And I was like, <laughs> I would be a great friggin' operator right now, <laughs> like free of all these. Like I thought I needed to carry this anger and anxiety and like I had to had to put myself in this higher state of being kind of this more wound individual in order to be effective in what I was doing. And then when I was actually able to release it, I found it's like, man, bringing some calmness to the table, not having that, I'd be free to engage and operate at just a whole different level. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. And somebody just said, we were, I was giving a talk in Nashville and one of the firemen just said, he goes, yeah, he goes, we're great at eating our own. And, and really that goes across the fire service, military, law enforcement community, any of these worlds, we are phenomenal at eating our own up. You know what I mean? If you expose yourself, if you become vulnerable, if you say, Hey guys, you know, I'm not on my game today. It's like, it's, it's not a great environment to really free yourself up a little bit, you know, like I, by yeah. page 40, yeah. 45 of your book, I was in tears, right? If I was sitting in the firehouse doing that, guys would be like, what are you doing? Uh, That's fascinating because I worked with two Olympic athletes a number of years ago and I could just feel this unspoken energy. And I just turned around to them and I said, after the Olympic games, what's next? And they said, we don't talk about that. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, well, tough shit, because we're talking about it now, guys. And one of them said, well, we, we don't see the point in talking about it. I said, yeah, I hear your point, but my question still stands. What are you going to do after the Olympic Games? And then one of them looked at me and with just this overwhelming fear. And he says, I can't think about it. I can't go there because I just vibrate with anger and frustration and fear because I have no idea who I'm going to be without the sport that I play. Mm. And I said, okay, so let, let's just imagine something for a moment. Are you sitting here saying that there, therefore this energy that you're holding onto does not affect your ability to let go and be loose and to be free and to actually perform better? Or, you know, is it a case where this energy is not being honored? These questions are not being talked about because there's a fear that it will take your eye off the ball. And I believe the military have a, a moral obligation. I believe every organization has a moral obligation to have these conversations in advance, because I think if they're done in a very constructive way, not a controlled way, but a very constructive, mm -hmm. 
uh, way, I think what we can do is prepare people for when they begin to assimilate back into society, whatever, whatever the hell that actually really means. Yeah. And these two men, I can absolutely tell you for a fact that I can't tell you on a spreadsheet what percentage of performance was being left, you know, uh, you know, off the ice. But when we had the conversation and then we dropped it, they felt freer. And another story I want to share just very recently that I came across was a professional goalkeeper pulled me aside and I was at a pre-season training camp with the team. And I was positioned as a guy who, you know, while I don't have any formal, uh, you know, qualifications like sports psychology or psychology or psychi psychiatry, any of that, um, you know, but I, you know, won't get into the details of my own story. I've traveled the world. I've been to 85 countries. I work with thousands of people around the world from, you know, all walks of life. And um, I was positioned as a guy that, listen, if you have any kind of concerns, any things that you feel that are getting in the way of your performance, you know, this guy McKernan's here and he's just going to spend three or four days with us. And initially, they were all kind of keeping their head down, yeah. ignoring me, you know, trying not to get eye contact, <laughs> not being seen sitting next to me over lunch in case everyone thought that they had an issue. And finally, the biggest guy in the pitch basically tipped me on the shoulder, the goalkeeper, and said, um, can we just go for a walk? And I, we walked down the beach and he said, uh, I just got this overwhelming fear of making a mistake in the opening game of the season. And I said, okay, cool. So is it just the opening game? He said, 100%. And I said, well, what if it's not? And he goes, well, now that I think about it, it's probably a little bit more prevalent in every game I play. And I said, well, where does it come from? And he looked, gave me one of those looks and he said, well, that's why you and I are talking. That's why you're here, I assume. And that's why I tipped you on the shoulder. My starting point is everybody that's seeking clarity has the answer. It's not, it's not, I don't, I'm not there to give it to them. I'm there to, I'm covered from within them. So it empowers them on a much deeper level. And he says, I really don't know. And I said, okay, let's play, paint a picture. It's the opening game of the season. The ball is curling in from the left wing. You jump up to carry the ball. This is obviously soccer I'm talking yep. about. You know you've mistimed your jump and it's also a windy day and you've made a mistake and you're in the middle of the air and you know you're not going to catch this ball. You get the tips of your fingers to the ball. The ball goes over your head and by the time your body slams onto the dirt, you hear the opposition jumping into the stadiums, jumping up and down, screaming because the ball has gone in and you screwed up. He goes, okay, I'm with you. And as you take your face out of the dirt, and you look up into the stands, who's the only face on earth that you do not want to see. And he goes, oh, shit. He said, my dad. Yeah. This is a 25-year-old man. This is a man who's played soccer most of his life. This is a, 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 25 years in this earth. And he had no idea that most of the why he exists on this earth is because he's still trying to prove to his dad and seek validation from his father. What it led to was a conversation that he needed to have with his father. And I'm exaggerating grossly to make a point. The next time I met him, he wasn't even sure whether he was going to be the first pick on the team. He became the first pick on the team. He was captain for this game. And when I met him, he looked like he could jump two foot higher into the air. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, that conversation changed everything. Now, that's not me attempting to take ownership. It's, it's trying to make a point. Yes, he couldn't jump two, front, two more feet into the air, of course, maybe two or three inches, but he looked like he could. He had this sense of confidence. He started to get in touch with the origin of what was driving this fear, and he began to address some of it and accept the rest. All right, we're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Brute Force Training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OPMINDSET, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. Phil, so you were, you know, we were in the talking about the goalkeeper, talking about him, you know, the next time we saw him, he just, he looked like he could jump, you know, two feet higher. Uh, and the discovery around really that at 25, the underlying issue was trying to be worthy, you know, for his dad or trying to be, you know, find if, find his relationship with his father, if I said that correctly. Yeah. And there's nothing, again, I think sometimes when you share these stories, people say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just like, yeah. it's just a driving force that he was unaware of. You know, he, he, he thought he was playing soccer and, and, and pursuing his career for himself when in actual fact, a lot of his drive was actually doing it for somebody else. The challenge when that happens is you tend to climb the wrong mountain. You tend to pursue something that you think your parents want, you think society wants for you. You think 
the people around want for you. And when you're not clear about your real why, the thing that really truly motivates you at your core, it can lead you to make decisions that don't, don't ultimately serve you. I mean, there's a lot of science around, you know, I have this in the front of my website that 90% of people die with regret. I actually think it's inaccurate. I think it's 95% of people die with Easily. regret. Yeah. And I think 90% of people live every day with regret. The study said, did not ever say 90% of stupid people die with regret. It's 90% of people. So there's this idea that sometimes, oh, well, if I'm smart enough and I'm clever enough and I've, if I've got enough letters after my name or, um, and I read enough books, I'm not going to make those mistakes. It does not, dis it, it makes no distinction between your level of academic understanding of the world versus, versus not. We don't wake up as human beings unless we're in a very dark place and we're trying to sabotage our own lives ever, I believe, saying, hey, I'm going to make a decision today that's going to compound over a period of time that's going to lead me to regret some decisions in my, in my life. But that's what we do. And my work, and I believe the invitation outside of me, just generally as a human being, is to stop and ask yourself the questions just as we move through this earth. Is this really where I want to live? Is this really the career I want to pursue? Is this real? I just ask these simple, inviting questions without judgment. Yeah. And, you know, if you spent five years in the military and you've and and you and you know you're out of it and you've retired out of it, it's not about looking back with regrets um, and beating ourselves up and say, "Hey, I wasted five years." It's just saying, "Hey, maybe those five years, maybe you you, you overstayed. Maybe it wasn't your journey. But how do we use that time effectively to now make the next, build the next mountain, build the next path, and make sure that we don't repeat history." Yeah, because I think a lot of, you know, I mean, it, it would have been very easy for me to stay in, right, stay in the military. Uh, I, I mean, they were hammer on me. I had great reenlistment options. But it, even at that point in my life, there was a, an uncomfortableness with the idea of staying in. Like there was just a, there was something for me pulling me kind of to the next thing for me. And so, you know, people ask me all the time, do you regret getting out? No, I don't regret getting out because then that led me to work for the agency. And so I got to spend, you know, a decade with CIA and got to do phenomenal things where I actually felt like my personal contribution and value aligned with what I was doing for work as well. So, you know, I, I do, but I know guys that have spent 20, 25 years and they're just, you know, chugging it out because I'm going to get to retirement or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And, you know, those things do break down over time. It, it's, it's a pretty prevalent issue, you know, in the fear of, well, what would be next? Like you said around the Olympians, okay, great. What's next? I don't even, I don't want to have that conversation of what's yeah. next. Yeah. I think that scares a lot of people. And, and I would, I would respectfully say, and this drives people nuts and people get angry when I say this often is that you, you probably, you, yeah, exactly. You, 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 I think if you're not stirring something inside of somebody, I think, you know, we're not asking the right questions. I think at the end of the day, I think, and I, and I absolutely believe this to my core, Jeff, and, 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 it, you know, I'm almost going to put myself out of a job here in a way, but great, is that the clarity we seek, we already have. Mm. And I hear way too many people telling me that, you know what, well, I would leave my job if i knew what was next i would leave living in the city i don't want to live in if i knew what was if i where i wanted to live etc and i find that it's a great way of not having to change it's a great way mm -hmm. to not necessarily have to face the thing that scares us the most and that most and that is living the greatest expression of who we are because it's always easier in the end of the day to fail doing something that we never really wanted to do for ourselves and what's 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 really intriguing me, acceleratingly, you know, exciting me over the last eight, six or eight months, is this notion of let's just use a book analogy that you know I think we all have an idea of a book that we think might sell, like the world might want, and then I do believe that we have a book in our back pocket that actually you know honestly we're scared to write the book that actually we think that would be ridiculed, and what what I find is this is that the book in your back pocket, the idea in your back pocket will change the world for you and will actually make humanity better. Um, we, we call it one last startup. If you had to create one last business and one last business only is the app that you want to build to sell to Google for like $10 million or $1 billion. Is that the business you would build? Or is it the idea in your back pocket that you're afraid to bring out? I find that sometimes it's not what we're doing today, Jeff. It's not even what we're thinking of doing tomorrow. It's what lies beyond both of those is the greatest authentic expression of who we are. But we're afraid to name it because it means that we have to put ourselves on the line 
the S and R for ridicule, for acceptance, uh, and rejection. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost a little bit tears right now because, but what you don't know is after MMT last year, uh, it was a massive catalyst for me uh, in a lot of ways because I was, I believe I was violating kind of what I was put on this earth to do and be. Um, you know, I was going down this other trajectory and had some great counsel. And that's why, you know, this year, the, the podcast, the foundation, right. That, that is focusing on early training, early conversations and getting support out at the earliest point. I had to really step back into a community that's full of judgment. That's scary. And I'd have be willing to hang myself out there. And, uh, and like this podcast and, and the programming, I, this conversation is going to work unless somebody's going to step into it and go, listen, for, 30 years of my life, you know, the thought of suicide is rung around the back of my head. You know, there's been three moments where I've actually been actively, you know, in that space and in that time, uh, you know, I, we just packed up and moved from San Diego to Denver and I've had to restructure, you know, the time with my girls cause they're going to stay in, in San Diego. But I had to really look at that and go, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm going to be in that, that full state of regret. You know, because I'm not having a relationship with my children that I want because I'm so inundated by having to figure out how to live day in and day out out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I this has been a journey for me this year of like <laughs> putting stepping out into things uh, that I think we don't do. And especially in these communities, you know, I, I when I started my talk two weeks ago in Nashville, I lay it out whenever I talk to cops firemen, I say, I say, listen, I, I need, there's one rule here and you're going to have to set your judgment down to be in this room for the next hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is. And if you can't do that, then you just might as well leave. But our communities are so deeply rooted in judgment that it creates this fear of communication or honesty or, or really laying yourself out there. So I didn't mean to, jump into a tangent yeah, there. You just, absolutely. you just hit a chord with me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really on a mission in the world today is to, is to find out, you know, what is, what is a part of your personal narrative, your personal truth that the world is not saying, uh, you're not allowing the world to say what part of you is depriving the world. And I, and I do believe to my core, what I'm about to say runs so true is that our greatest gifts lie right next to our deepest wounds. Mm. And that if, you know, the old world, the old way of looking at the world, particularly in business is you go and find a problem. And then you create a service or a product that's going to solve it. And then you sell that to the world and, and hopefully do make, you know, make good money doing it. I think that's, that's one way of making money and one way of existing. The people I want to work with are the people who go, Hey, I want to, I want to find a pain point that I myself experienced and lived through and didn't have the support around me to, to help me with it. I want to identify that, what, what that is. And I want to go and help humanity solve that. Whether it's one or a million people, I don't really care. Uh, as long as you're 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 looking at life through the lens of contribution in a way that is a reflection of the pain you yourself experience, what happens is you bring you know your talent and then you layer it over with your gift, and I think that's an unstoppable force, and mm -hmm. and that's the difference between passion and excitement. Often we start businesses or we head into careers, and we're excited. Excitement always runs out. Yeah, always runs out, but passion never does. And I think if you can align who you are to what you're doing, I think then that is a really powerful, poignant and potent force that I think really amplifies you in the world and allows the world to amplify itself. Yeah. I mean, even just to, to, to embrace being a firefighter, being a police officer, being a service for across any of the branches, right? Just to be like, hey, I'm here because this is, this is like who I am to my core and I have the opportunity when I put on a uniform or step into my service each day, you know, to really care for my community or my country to protect the people around me, you know, and I can do that without like then the heroism of it, right? The, the extra of it. And I think when I can operate yeah. at that state, then that also lets me come home and almost carry that same level of personal commitment into my family or into my friends and into my community away from the job. And that helps me maintain this identity of who I am committed at a core point. And it, and if I'm a, if I'm a fireman today or a cop tomorrow or a service member next week, 
that is just a role I'm playing for a period in time. But but this piece of identity, I think, is, you know, where links break down. Yeah. And there's two, there's two things on that, Jeff. I think is one is how do we bring that home? And, I, and you and I talked about that before we went on air. Um, how, how do we bring ourselves home? And that was kind of, it was, we didn't get into the details of it, but I, one of the challenges is that we have this idea of work-life, you know, balance out in the world. And I, and I, and I have a, a yeah. bit of, bit of an issue with it because I think it almost implies that when you pull up in the driveway that you, you change your state and walk into your house, I'm not asking you to bring back the gory details of perhaps an accident that you came across that day or, you know, some sort of engagement that, you know, ended up in violence. I'm not asking you to come back and download that from your kids, your family, et cetera. But, but not to adjust who you are in the car in the driveway massively to become suddenly dad or mom two minutes later and then jump back in the car the following day and oscillate back into this this role. You know, who I am is who I am. I show up. There's no work-life balance in my life. If I if I get my, my, my fist on my right hand and my, hand, my, my left hand is open and I put my fist into my hand and I close it over, there's just Philip McKernan. There's just one me that's it all good bad or are different i don't i'm not the coach on a, on a monday morning and dad on a saturday night there's just this one and i used to be in careers my entire life where i thought i needed to separate yeah. the two which was exhausting it was actually exhausting and and the way i look at it is that you know if you can commit wholeheartedly to who, who you are and what you do without being over attached because that's really what i'm talking about here it's our attachment is the problem it's like somebody said to me one day I want to write a book and I, I want some advice because I've just been approached by one of the biggest authors in this industry to co-author with them. This is like the opportunity of a lifetime occurring and what do you think? The reason they were asking me and not even seeking permission, but asking because they knew deep down there was a question mark. And I said, you trust this person? I know, sorry, the first question I asked was, how badly do you want to write a book? And they said, 12 out of 10. And I said, well, you want it, you want it too badly. And she goes, what are you talking about? She says, does, not, does that not show commitment? I said, no, that shows attachment. That shows an over need for you to be a, a writer. So what will happen is you will end up making decisions to write a book with somebody that you don't trust in order to get your name on a mm -hmm. book in order to achieve your goal. And ultimately, it'll end up, you'll end up regretting that. And she just goes, oh, shit, screw you. She was like annoyed with me. But she knew that this person was not the right alignment. She let go of the opportunity. Six months later, woke up, wrote her book in six weeks, and it became number one in Amazon in the entire portfolio of Amazon, not just yeah. one little sub-niche within Amazon. And not that there's anything wrong with that. So the point is that we often get very attached to becoming a hero. We get attached to, to, to certain roles. And I think it's wonderful to commit to something. Be the goalkeeper for the next five years and commit to that. But don't over-identify with it. Because you could be a painter in five years, you could be a musician, you could be a, a, a farmer, you could be an entrepreneur, you could be something else. Just don't get too attached. It's like I often see in the world of intimate relationships is people get attached to this idea that if they're single, they're not going to be happy. And therefore, they have to have somebody by their side in order to journey and navigate this world. When you have such an attachment, you, I promise you, you will ignore the red flags on the peripheral. You will marry somebody that you think is the right person to ultimately find out that you did it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It really, it's the same I, principle. That's, that is, that's a very, that's a pretty significant point, this difference between, because we talk a lot about commitment in, in this community, right? Because there, it's a, it is a big commitment when I take on the, yes. the role where, you know, I have the responsibility to protect the people around me and and be available to that at any moment in time that's a that is a big commitment but i i really can see where then the attachment to and i can see it in my own life in a lot of places i'm laughing at myself a little bit where you know the attachment comes into play but then the attachment in association with everything else really starts to break things down because i am if I am attached to being a firefighter, then a firefighter looks like this and I have to be like this and I have to do this and this and this. And, you know, and then it becomes this whole compounding world then to go back to. And I've talked to a lot of people out of the services and, and I, the conversation, the internal conversation of I'm a failure or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I, you know, I'm always letting someone down. I'm either not ready to go to the firehouse or I'm letting my spouse down or I'm letting my kids like that is such a deep seated conversation across the services. And it's, and part of the fun I get to have now, and I call it fun because it's, 
I get to bring that conversation to the group where those have always been individual conversations, right? Those are conversations people are, will only talk yeah. about with me in a one-on-one -on -one context. And, you know, now it's time to have that conversation as a squad, as a team, as a group, you know, as an organization, uh, because those are, you know, I've, I've been in it and I've looked at people looking left and right, like going, am I the only one? And clearly I'm not. Yeah. I, there, there's a, there was a great study um, that was done a number of years ago. It's a massive body of work and, and it's cited, it cited that people are looking for three things in the organization in which they're attached to, the company they work for, um, you know, the, the, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, segment of, of, of the work, you know, the working force you're in. And it was that people are yearning three, three things, um, to be competent at what they do, to feel like they're good at what they do, to feel authentic in their own lives and to feel connected to themselves and other people. And, and I just thought that was fascinating. It didn't say, Hey, they want, you know, they want health benefits. They want, I think there's a point where we need a certain amount of kind of security or income. Uh, we need to sure. know that our families are going to be safe, et cetera, et cetera. Beyond that, I think ultimately we're, we're yearning different things. And what we have found over the last number of years is we've created a concept called team deepening where, because we think team building is, is yeah. a little bit old fashioned. Um, we're, 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 we're looking for ways to deeply connect. Because if you think about connection, you think about a firefighter, you think about somebody in the military, you know, in, in many cases, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, that it's not just something you go and do for three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. This is often people's entire, um, you know, working space mm -hmm. and their personal social lives are also tied in around the peripheral of this. So often people's, you know, we used to live certainly in Europe and, and it used to be just this, you know, there's these, these countries made up of these little villages and those communities and everything else. But today the, the world has shifted. In many cases, people are going to work, they come back, they watch a, a movie or something on Netflix, have dinner, fall into bed and go back out and, and share another eight hours or 10 hours that day with a community of people. And they're yearning to connect with these people, but they just don't know how. And what we're finding is, um, is by providing an opportunity for people to to be vulnerable in a very safe environment through one last talk, yeah. which is a, a book I wrote, is actually when people are sharing the deepest part of their personal narrative and truth, whether they feel feel suicidal, they feel depressed, they, they this is part of their story that they're ashamed of or whatever, is that it unifies people at a very deep human level. And I do find that there's almost a fear of bringing that into the military or a fear of bringing that into, and I've talked to firefighters, and I've talked to military uh, personnel, We've actually delivered this into a prison of all places and got permission to record all the talks, et cetera. And it was, it was just unlike anything I've experienced in my life. But there's almost this hesitation that if we bring a vulnerable conversation, which is ultimately a human conversation, into a, a group of heroes, that they will soften around the edges and they're therefore not be as effective as they could be. But I think if we don't do it, we're starving them of humanity. We're starving of them of um, this this, this opportunity to connect with themselves and other people and therefore allow themselves to identify more with the roles they take on and go out into the world and, and to protect other people and protect themselves. And, 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 am I making any sense? Uh, it, it, Phil, you're, you're spot on with it. I mean, it is, it is crazy that we don't have the conversations like this in these communities because it is perceived. It's perceived as weakness, as potential vulnerabilities, as you know, there is a, a, a context that's crafted that you must be this way, you know, hard, this, that in order to execute a mission or to go out and shoot somebody in the face. Right. I mean, that's just that's a reality of our world. And in what I have found, the polar opposite is actually true. You know what I mean? There's there. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It is. It is completely different. There is not a you know, we, it's like, I, I need you to be, there's the perception that you have to be not a human being in order to be effective in certain roles. You have to shut down all your humanity, all your feelings, you know, which you can't do. So, you know, you're trying to shove them down and then they're creating resistance. It's why it's a lot of times why, you know, an officer will fail to press the trigger when they should, right? There's too much conflict that occurs. And to me, having these conversations, doing these things, exposing myself, like talking about really what's going on in my brain actually frees me up in a way that I can make the decision I need to make 
in that moment in time in the context that it needs to be made because there's nothing wrong with engaging the enemy. There's nothing wrong with doing what it is I need to do in the role that I've taken on. But it's this, yeah, this conflict that yeah, constantly yeah. occurs because I'm not freed up enough to say, hey, I, I'm, you know, I'm struggling here with some things. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the way. I mean, if you think about it, in a, let's use it a, an obnoxious example. Let's just say you're working in a in a fire station, you're working on a military base, you're working in an office, and you've got an asshole in the office. And what I mean by that is, you just got somebody that no one really likes, and he always pushes your buttons, and or she always pushes your buttons, and they're just really obnoxious and they're cold, and and they just seem to be out to get you and piss you off, and whatever it happens to be, is that. And, and, I, and, and there's been lots of assholes in my life, and I'm sure I've been an asshole to many people in my life. But what I've realized over the last number of years, and I've known this intellectually, but now emotionally really understanding is when you understand their story, you realize why they are the way they are. They weren't born an asshole. They become a very defensive mm-hmm. person because they're hurt. They, they want to push you away because they don't feel deserving of your friendship. They want to push you away because they don't know how to connect. They want to push you away because they've been hurt by so many human beings before. They can't allow you to get close to them. And by bringing a vulnerable conversation into an environment like that allows you to go beyond the assholeness of somebody and see them for a human being. And I'm literally not exaggerating, Jeff, when I say that we have brought teams together through this work where they turn around and go, Jesus, John, who's in accounting, I always thought you were an asshole. I love this guy. Where's this guy been for the last five years? And then they hug and embrace. And before you know it, the, the, the guy who's an accountant who's been difficult suddenly feels a part of something he never imagined he could and vice versa. I was in the Pentagon about three years ago and I was invited to a meeting and I'll never forget it. There was this massive, probably the biggest boardroom I've ever seen in my life. The biggest boardroom, was about 25 people around it. And finally, uh, they were talking about this military, quote unquote, issue. About 22, yep. I think, was the stat at the time, military a day committing suicide, which does not account for the many who are, you know, either addicted or depressed or on various types of, you know, medicines and whatever to, 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 you know, kind of enable or allow them to live day by day. They were talking about this military issue. And I raised my hand. I said, well, with respect, I don't think it's a military issue. I think it was looked upon as a military issue. I think we're missing the point. I think it's a human identity crisis, which you and I talked about. And I think it ex- it, it's, it's even worse, <clears throat> excuse me, for a military personnel who not just has to eventually leave the military, they've got to zip down or button down the uniform. They have to take it off, drop it into you know the laundry basket for the last time, give it back to the military or put it in their closet and close the door. So they don't just lose what they've done, which is a reflection of who they are, because that's part of the problem. They lose this hero status in society. I said the mothers who wave goodbye to their children, it's the same principle. Fathers and, and mothers who, who sell their businesses or retire from the post office or the postal service, it's exactly the same principle. And I remember offering this and they looked at me, the, the general or whoever's at the top of the table, he goes, yeah, uh, okay, anyone, any, anyone else want to yeah. make a comment? And they just couldn't even allow yeah. the conversation to exist. And as we parted the meeting, there was a lady sitting just behind this, this I think he was a general, um, and she had lots of badges and decorations, and excuse me if I don't know the terminology. And she walked up to me afterwards and she looked over her right shoulder to make so, sure no one was around. She looked over her left shoulder. She leaned forward and she started crying and she says, my husband is at home in a basement and all he does every day for eight hours a day is play computer games. What you're talking about is absolutely 100% bang on, but no one in the Pentagon is having the conversation. No one is having the conversation. No one wants to have the conversation because they're scared it will actually deprive or take away from the the overall quote unquote mission that we're on to whatever. And I think it's the complete, you and I are in 110% agreement that it is the opposite. By bringing these human conversations to the table, you allow people to commit at a deeper level beyond even what they think they're capable of. It about it unifies people. It brings people closer. It deepens relationships, deepens this sense of community, tribe, family. So when you do go out into combat, when you do go out to put out a fire, when you do go out to build a business, when you do go out to build a family, you feel connected and supported by everybody around you because they understand you because you're human as they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really, it's sad to me. And I think that's why when I looked back at this stuff, when I kind of came back into the community and the conversation still wasn't there and there's still the, the, the walls up around this thing, I just, 
that's where it was, it was just time to change because, you know, I believe personally, there's no greater commitment in life you can make than to serve those around you. I just firmly believe that. And, you know, when you make that commitment, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. And there's a lot of trauma that exists in it and a lot of struggle that exists in it. And I think you've nailed it on the head in a lot of ways with the pieces of identity, identity versus attachment, really commitment versus attachment, understanding the difference there, because I mean, it is, it has been, uh, you know, it's, it's like this conflict where when I look back at my career, the times that I felt like I was best at my job and best at who I really was and doing to what I thought was great work in the world, I'm also failing my family because I'm not home. I'm not with them day in and day out. I'm not caring for my, you know, them in the way that people would think I should, you know? And so it's like yes. how the, pardon the language, but how the fuck do I exist in a state where I can go out and, and really embrace who I am you know, to, to solve massive problems, to respond to crisis, to do these things, to operate in the world, and then be this gentle, loving guy who can come home and hug my son or my daughters and just embrace them, you know, and not get ick on them and not get garbage on them and not get, you know, I mean, that's like, oh, and it's overwhelming. I mean, point blank, it is, it's, it's really one of the worst feelings I've ever experienced. Wow. And that, and that's yeah, not a, that's, that's a not a once a year or every freaking, once yeah. every five years, that's a consistent, constant niggling. And, 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 and I feel that, you know, no, not that not, I'm trying yeah. to solve it or wrap it in a bow, but I wonder that I just don't hear the conversation going on and maybe it happens behind closed doors. I'm unaware of, but where does shame, mm. where is shame addressed? Where is forgiveness brought in? Because I'm telling you, I've looked into the faces of so many military men and women, not not even remotely as many as, as I'm sure you have. And I just want to put my arms around them and, and hug them and let them know that it's okay. Like, you know, that it's okay. And that will you might, there's this idea that, you know, I can feel the emotion coming through me right now is that because you're serving the country, because you're, you're protecting other people, whatever you've done, whether it's in Iraq or whether it's, it's, it's in Afghanistan or whether it's on, on, on soil here in America or otherwise, whatever you've done is, is not just okay, but expected. And, it, and it's actually a gift to the world. And yet I'm looking at many of these men's you know, and women's faces and they feel yeah. this immense shame and guilt around you know what they've done because it morally and i'm not getting into what i feel in terms of i'm just explaining what i see in their faces and i've talked about morally you know they're being told one thing intellectually and while they kind of grasp it and kind of get it get it morally they feel deeply conflicted and i just feel that that's the conversation that needs to happen because when they put down their uniform when they walk away and they have to assimilate back into their own families, their own society, and continue. They have to live with what they have actually done, regardless of why they did it. And, and often they're not at peace with that. And how do we create an environment? How do we continue to have conversations to allow them to process and to, uh, to address these things, these demons inside of them? Um, because I think what happens is we, we start to believe at a core we're, we're bad people. Um, we walk around looking a lot of the military that I've worked, they, they look guilty. They walk around with this guilty, sheepish, uh, you know, kind of almost undeserving sense uh, because they feel that they've betrayed their family when they spent five mm -hmm. years in service or vice versa. And um, I think that needs that, that conversation also needs to be, be brought to the service in a proactive way. That's the key. Not in a reactive way. Well, if someone comes back in, from, from war and they have PTSD and whatever, well, okay, let's address it. You know, if they've got significant signs and volatility and, and this comes out in, in, in anger or they may hurt themselves or they're, they're, they're turning to types of drugs or alcohol addiction to cope with this gap in their hearts or their souls, why do we have to wait for this shit to happen? Why can't we be proactive and say, listen, we're going to assume this is going to happen. How do we set it up and have dialogues that when you come back from each you know, service that you go into this sequence of conversations to begin to process and, and understand what you've been through, what you've been asked to do, which is either in alignment with you, or maybe it's outside of alignment mm -hmm. with you, and to heal at a very fundamental level. Um, I think that's, that's something that will be massively important. 
Yeah, I mean, my moonshot, when I decided at the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, in a great conversation, great, my moonshot, 110%, is to end cleanup. I firmly believe that if we have conversations like this early on, that if we lay the foundation for freedom of sharing, a freedom of expression, freedom of understanding that you are at your core, a human being. And by the way, because you're human, you come with these things. They don't get shut off. You weren't born without them. You know what I mean? You deal like this. And if we can train you early, if we can create a persistent conversation early, we don't have the effects. I mean, I, I stand on this like you, I piss people off when I say this all the time. And I, and I, and I get pinged by a lot of people on it. I firmly believe that PTSD is like 1% of the greater issue we're dealing with. Now, everybody's lumped every, every struggle, every issue, everything coming back from, into a PTSD box because now I can pill it or drug it or, you know what I mean? I, there's, a, there's a structured solution to that that's easy. I believe firmly that, that it's yeah. like PTSD yeah. is actually like 1% of the issue. You know what I mean? There's the identity crisis, the feeling like a failure, the struggle in uh, moral injury and, you know, uh, the conflict that's created between logical and emotional thinking, right? And what those to me are the underlying issues that we're not dealing with, we're not speaking about, we're not bringing up. Instead, we're just going, well, you know, you must have, you know, you went to combat, you must have PTSD. Well, yeah, you spent 10 years in the fire service. Sure, you've seen stuff. You, it's like, I, I don't buy it. I can't. I've lived it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't get, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think it's, I think we're, I think like you said, sitting in that Pentagon, that's a very clear picture of what we're up against in a lot of ways around this. Yeah. Struggle. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I, I know we're getting onto time here, Philip. I, so well, my, my, my moonshot, just to give you a, a sense as well, is um, through the lens of one last talk and, and the one last, you know, different, you know, kind of suites of word that we're creating is to uh, eradicate loneliness in the world. And I think loneliness is, is probably the greatest pandemic yeah. the world is facing at the moment. Um, and I, we're going to do that through the lens of healing and um, healing creates connection within ourselves and other people. And I think what happens as a result of that, the byproduct is that loneliness doesn't get a chance to even breathe or exist um and and that's that's you know what i'm what i'm here to do and uh, i'd love you to actually do a one last talk in uh, in boulder yeah. in early next year by the way i was going to ask you off air, but i'm just going to throw it on i, I so i yeah. just i ran one last talk last week in mastermind talks that you and i uh, you know both know that community we've run it in a prison recently um it is it is i don't think it's the only thing in the world but i'm i'm obviously very biased but it's 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 the thing that I speak about with, with such pride because it's yeah. not about me, Jeff. It's bigger than me. It's more important than Philip McKernan will ever be. And it's, 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 I've never come across a tool that helps people heal and allow them to see other people. And we brought it into a prison. I just want to share very quickly. Uh, said you, you, you probably won't be able to bring it into a prison. And if you do, you won't be able to get an audience. And I can guarantee you, you're never going to get permission to record the talks. Uh, we achieved all three because our intentionality behind it was 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 one of, of humanizing these men and women who are seen in society as just evil, bad people. And while I'm not here to justify their behaviors ever, um, these people who have been brought up in certain situations and circumstances who have been hurt in many ways, I can begin to understand how they have seen uh, the world perhaps in a distorted way and therefore acted in a distorted way and ultimately ended up behind bars. Um, we had six men in Southern Colorado share their one last talks in a prison. Uh, we had an audience and I've never in my life experienced ever healing. Um, I'll give you one quick example and I'll leave it at this is that one of the men was a, a sex offender and he didn't get up and justify his behavior. He basically just gave us his story and it, I've never been more stretched at such a deep human level uh, in my life. I mean, it stretched every part of my essence because of my judgments and my prejudice and everything else. And one, this man shared one, and this was only one part of his life. And he was raped every single day for six months by his own father. And that's just one part of the violence that he experienced as a young, young kid growing up in the world. And you could begin to see how, oh my God, while it doesn't negate the behavior, you can, begin, you can begin to see how the world was formed for him or how he was formed within the world. And what was fascinating, we had three women in the audience 
volunteers who came in, three women who had all been sexually abused. And each of them went up and embraced him at the end of it and held him and thanked him for his talk. And one of them said, I don't want him to leave. I don't want him to go back into the general population. I don't want him to be hurt. And the tears pouring down her face and her husband said he'd never seen anything like it of all the years of therapy and all the years of talking through everything she's been through and all the trauma she's been through. In those 15 minutes when this man shared his truth, everything was forgiven. Yeah. And I want to do my, my dream. And it's so funny that you and I are talking today. I want one last talk in military bay. I want military personnel, firefighters sharing some of these stories and how they are in relationship, their narratives to free themselves, forgive themselves and allow other people to do the same. And that's, that's, that's why I'm here and that's why I exist. And that's why. Well, we're, we're going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to hang up and make a phone call after this to uh, a particular individual who has been on this podcast, <laughs> who shall remain nameless, Paul Tulin, uh at, at, uh, at USASOC. And I'm actually going to probably reach out to General Cleveland and, um, uh, I think we're going to do this uh, in some ways. And Stu Ferris and a couple of these other guys who I know are are uh, are willing to have the conversations that most aren't. And so I, I, I'm, I'm firmly committed to that yeah. because I think it is a tool and a process that uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And, you know, when I sent Amy the note, she's like, well, it'll be a few months. I'm like, OK, we'll wait. I don't really care <laughs> how long it takes to get you on. So. Matt, well, I appreciate I, it. I, thank you. And thanks for taking your time. I know you're, you're crazy busy and I greatly appreciate it. I know you just finished a session. You're exhausted. Um, and to give what you've given today, I, I, I really thank you for that. Jeff, anytime, anytime I can serve you, what you're doing, I love what you're doing. I love your energy. I love your vulnerability. Um, I, you know, I, anytime I can serve you, your audience, I, again, I'm not to try to make excuses, yeah. but I am very exhausted today. Uh, if we want to ever have a conversation, I will prioritize and make sure that it happens. And I really appreciate you. Um, really I appreciate, appreciate what you're that. Doing I appreciate that. And I just want to say to the listening audience one, uh, you know, all of Phil's stuff, I will make sure it's all available to everyone listening. Uh, his book, his processes, what's there, what's coming. Um, and, you know, given what's been happening in the fire service and the law enforcement community, listen, if any of this hits, has hit with you, if you're struggling, if you're struggling with where to have that conversation or who to have that conversation with, you fucking call me, you email me. I get messages all the time from the community and I'm here. I answer my email. Uh, uh, it comes to me. So don't even blink for a second. You just get on and call because uh, that's what this entire, this is the new community. This is the new tribe here that we've created. So Philip, thank you again for coming on, taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? If not, you're exhausted. I get it. <laughs> No, no, there's not. I think we've covered a lot of territory. And, and, and ultimately, I think, you know, the, the one thing that I see more and more and more, that no matter what it is we want to achieve and who we want to be and who we think we are, uh, the thing I feel that a lot of us ignore is just how do we feel about ourselves? You know, can we, can we close our eyes at night and be comfortable in our own skin? Can we look at ourselves in the mirror with a, with a degree of acceptance and pride? And, and regardless of the goals and aspirations and the dreams that anyone has, um, the starting point for me is working on how we are in the world within our own skin. And I feel whatever you need to do to begin to heal and to allow yourself to show up in the world in a better way, I think that's the most important work that most mm -hmm. people actually ignore or bypass and then they wonder why life is tough for them. So if that makes sense for some people, great. And if not, I trust that. And uh, again, Jeff, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. All right. So that wraps up today's episode with Phil McKernan. Swing by MindsetRadio.com. Make sure you check out the show notes, how to connect with Phil, how to pick up his book. I highly recommend it. And, you know, if you want to come to Boulder in February uh, to see my one last talk, clearly I will be doing it now. Uh, listen, today's episode definitely made a huge impact on me. Uh, I hope you got something from it. We're going to be back on on Thursday. The new show format is going to run Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, primary guest on Tuesdays, and then I'm going to be doing a wrap-up kind of weekly topic aspect on the Thursday episodes. Uh, it'll be me and or maybe me and a couple of guys from the community or a couple people from the community. We'll see how it goes. This Thursday, we're going to explore this a little bit deeper with some emotional stability. So make sure that you're subscribed and downloading the episodes. Next week, we've got Captain Benjamin Martin out of the fire service where we're going to kind of continue this conversation about emotional stability, look at some issues around emotional intelligence and a few other things. 
Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for sharing yourself with me. And uh, I really appreciate it. You know, several of, I've had several questions as to like, you know, who produces the show, who does the artwork, who does everything else. And, you know, as you, most of you know, it's, it's me. And uh, so not having a, a depth of support here uh, really kind of caused us to blip for about a month. So listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. I think today's conversation is going to be extremely important. Now, I've got on the show with me Philip McKernan. He is the author of the book One Last Talk. Uh, it is a profound read and it is a profound experience to attend one of his events. So I would highly encourage you visit the show notes, pick up his book. It's definitely worth a read. Philip to me is a guy that probably you would not come across in your normal life. And I've gotten to know him uh, through a different community. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and really looking forward to today's episode. So again, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your listening. And I am ready to rock and roll today. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show was brought to you in part by the Primed Mind app. You know, I've gotten to know Elliot Rowe over some time now and using his app has been a huge game changer for me. It brings together a perfect set of guided meditations that really keep you in the game. Whether it's sleep, performance, workouts, resiliency, or making those critical transitions between home and work, the Prime Mind app is my go-to source for putting me in the mental and emotional condition necessary to deal with whatever comes my way. Check it out at mindsetradio.com backslash primed mind. That's P-R-I-M-E-D-M-I-N-D. Download it and check out what Elliot has to offer. Remember, this podcast is only available through your continued support through donations to the Operational Mindset Foundation at opmindset.org and through your engagement with our sponsors. So stop by mindsetradio.com for all the show notes from today's episode and show some love to all of our sponsors by visiting mindset.com backslash sponsors. As always, feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts about today's episode or join us on Facebook in the Mindset Radio Facebook group. You could follow us on Instagram at Mindset Radio or over at Twitter at Mindset underscore radio. That's Mindset underscore radio over on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to next time. Until then, stay safe and stay operational, my friends. <laughs>